Well, welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin, and we are so glad you joined us today at Ashley Park or watching this online uh, later. We're in fourth week of this series, uh, How to Wreck a Relationship in 30 Days. Uh, I started this series a few weeks ago, and then I think over the last couple of weeks, Nathan and then Jason have just kicked it up another level. And I wish I had time to go back and sort of recap all the things that they've said, but here's my advice to you. If you haven't been a part of all of those, you want to hear these. Go uh, down to the bottom of our webpage, click on the YouTube icon and subscribe to our YouTube page, and you'll get these all there. They're all there. You can see them. Or you can go on our webpage and click on the sermon tab, and you can watch them all there. But I hope you watch them and catch up. But today, I, this whole series has just been so incredibly good. It's about relationships, and it's important because we all know relationships are important, and we want them to be really good in our lives. But today I need to talk to you about something that's going to be important. In fact, it's really important. And because it's so countercultural, uh, then everything that else is going on in our world, uh, I'm going to give you the data like we have in this whole series to back up what I'm saying. And you're going to see that the data is backing up what God's been saying all along. And now we have the data to show it. But I need you to know that of all the messages we've done, I think this one is going to be the most difficult for all of us to join in with. And so I'm not asking you to agree with everything I have to say in this, but I am asking that if you could just try to be with me as we go through this together. So if you're with me at Ashley Park right now, would you just say, hey, I'm with you. All right, I'm, I'm going to take it that you're with me. So to get us all on the same page, I need to talk to you about something in our culture, and I need to address it, uh, the fact that we live in really strange and wonderful times. And what I mean by that is I think human beings have always had this desire for instant gratification and for things to be pretty easy and for when we get them done, for them to be really well done, uh, almost perfection. What's different about our culture is we now have the ability almost to pull those things off. Like we can have instant gratification and it's pretty easy for us to get it and um, it's pretty perfect. We live in a world where we, you know, we almost worship celebrities and we see these really pretty people who are able to sing exceptionally well or perform exceptionally well or, you know, act certain ways in front of cameras. And we take these already beautiful people and we Photoshop them or we airbrush them to the point of perfection and then we put them on posters and everything they do, it becomes the example of what everybody wants. We look at them and they're just perfect. It's it's strange times in which we live. But we also live in an age where instant gratification is possible. I mean, our motto is you ought to be able to get what you want and you ought to be able to get it now. So I've got Amazon Prime and I've got next day delivery because I need my new sheets tomorrow on my doorstep right now, please, sir. And I don't want to do much to get that. In addition to that, I want to be entertained, and I want to be entertained in the way I want. I want all the best TV when I want it. I don't want to have to show up at a certain time that you decided to show it to me. I've got Netflix and HBO Go and, uh, you know, Disney Plus now. And so I can stream whatever I want at my time, in my place, on any device, at any time. I want to be entertained when I want to be entertained. I want to be gratified right now. It goes darker in these strange times that we also have, of course, pornography anytime we want it. You want sex with no commitment, with 
no relationship with none of the mess because there's no other person, well, it's available to you almost everywhere, all the time. And if you want a person, well, you can still have that, sex with another person, but no commitment. There's, you know, there's Grinder and Tinder and other apps that have ripped them off. So I can do all of those things really fast, apparently easy, no commitment. It's a strange world in which we live. And even on the darker side of that, we live in a culture where we can do all of this today. I mean, I can watch TV and I can, at the end of the day, I can go home when I'm done with this message and I can watch football and if I want something to eat, I don't have to cook anything. I can get somebody to go out and pick up my blooming onion and my wings that I want and because I have Uber Eats or, you know, I have uh, Grubhub, they will bring it right to my door from almost any place that I want and they will do it with a smile to bring it to me at ease. We live in a strange and wonderful times and, but, this one thing where we have ease and self-gratification and everything comes to us with very little picture-perfect kind of quality where everything, you know, is worthy of putting on the internet somewhere, it also has taught us something where we're forgetting, we're forgetting what it feels like. We, we've forget, forgotten what it, it looks like to live outside of picture-perfect. We've forgotten what it's like to not have instant gratification and where ease isn't at every turn. Now, I just want to say to you, if you're new around here, you may not know this, but I'm not the kind of guy that's, I'm not trying to be a big prophet against those kind of things. I enjoy all of those things as much as everybody else does. I'm not saying we need to be done with those things. I'm not saying we need to reject all of our devices and all the comfort that comes with our culture. What I am saying is that those things in our culture have had an impact on us and we might not be realizing. And with regard to what I need to talk to you about and what this series has been about today, those things specifically are having a huge, huge impact on our relationships. Here's what I mean. Those qualities, instant gratification, ease, that I can have what I want right now with no work and it'll be picture perfect, those are not any kind of expectations that ever work really well in a relationship. I mean, here's what we know. There are no easy relationships. They all take work. There are no relationships where it's always picture perfect. It's messy. And there are no relationships that I can get into and I get all the gratification I want instantly. But if we're honest, most of us have lived with some of that expectation that I ought to be able to move in a relationship and it's, it's going to be easy and I'm going to have what I want out of it pretty quickly and it's not going to require a lot of work out of me. And if it does require a lot of work and it's not easy, then there's something wrong with this and I just need to move on. Well, maybe, maybe those things that our culture have taught us have caused us to miss the one thing that really all relationships kind of need. And that's what I need to talk to you about today because we've been conditioned by our culture and by everything we all know to go at it the exact wrong way. And because of that fact, I know you won't listen for others forever, 
I can't do what we've been doing in this whole series where I, I take the time and I show you how this works in every relationship. It does work in every relationship. I can't talk to you about work and I can't talk to you about your friendships and those kind of things. I need to get us focused down just because of time. I need to focus us down on what is the core relationship of all the relationships that all of us have. It's family and more specifically the cornerstone of the family. I need to talk to you about how this works out in marriage. In this series, we've been coming at this thing from the preparing a rich study that's been done with millions of couples around the world, hundred thousands of counselors. There's a lot of data on this. And this idea that I need to talk to you is in the top four of these of what makes happy relationship and the lack of it destroys or wrecks relationships. I need to talk to you about what has become almost a curse word in our generation. I need to talk to you about commitment. Because of what I've already mentioned to you, our culture, we become known as the non-committal generation. You ever experienced that? I'll tell you where you might have seen it. Ever tried to have a party and asked everybody to RSVP? Well, I'm, I'm probably going to come, but I don't want to click that button yet to say I'm going to come because who knows, I might get a better offer. I want to keep my options open. Why? Why are we so afraid of commitment? Well, I think it's because as a culture, we're the result of decisions that were made many years ago. In fact, right at the beginning of my life, my generation, everybody in here that's old now, our generation was the me first generation. We were the generation that started saying to people, hey, you can't trust anybody over 30. And so we've seen during our time of moving that direction, we've seen lack of trust in, in government because, of course, they do betray us. We seen the lack of trust in corporations because, of course, you commit your life to a corporation like your parents did, and they don't commit to you. Their only commitment is to the final line stock, and so there's no trust from the corporation, and that lack of trust in everything, it's led to this incredible boom in divorce that started in our generation, which has led, of course, to our children where they don't trust, they just don't trust. They, they just don't trust anyone anymore. Nothing can be taken at face value. Everything needs to be questioned and everybody needs to be uh, thought of as untrustworthy until you just don't commit to anybody. And most people have grown up hearing when it comes to marriage, hey, marriage is a 50-50 shot. I mean, divorce rate's about 50% and there's, those aren't really great odds that you're going to stay married. So as one of one young person said, hey, I don't even date because dating is the first step to divorce. Because, of course, that's just the way it's always been. It's always been that way. Well, it really hasn't always been that way. And it isn't that way for everyone even now. See, but that's where a lot of everybody is in our culture. We have this fear. We have this fear on our part that a lot of people say, I'm, I'm never going to do to my kids what was done to me. I'm just never going to let them be the product of divorce. And so we fear commitment because of this wound that's been happening over the last 50 years in our culture. And God wants to heal that wound. See, you and I were made for deep, intimate, loving relationships where we are known and fully known and fully loved and fully accepted. And God offers that to us, but God not only offers it from him, he offers it to us with each other. But we have to learn that the core of that is this word, 
commitment. So how do we do that? Well, I think first it happens with us getting back and understanding what God's intent was in this idea of marriage because he's the one that thought it up. So I want to look at uh, something with you that Jesus had to say about marriage. This, this comes right out of the Bible. He says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now that's God's intent in marriage, where two people become one. Now, that's an incredible mystery. In fact, you may have noticed that there's, if you know anything about Christianity, that two becoming one is a part of a mystery, sort of like we talk about a trinity where there's one God, but there's three in one. It's a mystery. And because this thing of two becoming one is such a mystery, it's not taught very well, and since it's not taught very well, it's not taught very often, and I'm probably not going to be able to fix that totally today, but I want to take a shot at it. I want you to notice first that what this two becoming one, it doesn't mean that the two literally become one in mind and heart and emotion and all of that, and one person has to go away, and they think they're like in some mind meld kind of situation. It's not, it's not that. I want you to notice that Jesus says it's a, it's a spiritual thing that's taking place, that it's God that joins the two into becoming one, that in this union there's something deeply spiritual taking place, that God is involved in taking two people, and he brings them together in one. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place in marriage, and it's intended that once then the commitment is made and the two become one, and God's a part of that, that that, that union is consummated with marriage, I mean with sex. And sex was intended to be the bond of the commitment that had been made first. And sex is this physical picture then of the two literally becoming one. It's supposed to mirror for us of what it looks like for two people to join together. It's a commitment. It's a commitment that we make to each other of two becoming one with God in the middle providing help. It's a commitment of saying, hey, I am fully for you. I am fully with you. And I am fully yours. I give myself to you. Mind, body, emotions, thoughts, I give myself to you. Again, it doesn't mean I totally become a different person. I'm, I'm still an individual, and you are too. But it means that I take your thoughts into account when I take my thoughts. I put your emotions alongside of my emotions, and I consider them in, in what I feel. I think about what would be best for you instead of just what's best for me. It's two people literally coming together to become as one together. In fact, Jesus had a follower named Paul who later writes to a church like I'm talking to you as a church. He's, he writes a letter to them and he says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. The reason that marriage is so sacred to God, the reason that God instituted it and he's the one that thought it up is because this two becoming one is supposed to be a reflection to the world of God's incredible committed love to humanity. That God, three in one, commits himself to humanity 
And God is saying, I am for you. I am committed to you. We need to come together in relationship. And this new life, the marriage that's created when two become one, when those two become one, it always takes work. It's never perfect. And it's never easy. It's not instant. But I want you to notice, if you haven't already noticed it, it's not two that are becoming one. There's three involved. God is involved in this. It, it's God that's joined together. He wants to teach us. He wants to provide the love that we need, even when it's not easy, and even when it takes work, and even when it's not per picture perfect, and even when it doesn't happen instantly. God provides the love that we need to, to maintain the commitment because God, he's the origin of love. Another writer in the Bible says, we know what love is because Christ gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give our lives for each other. Real love, it is committed love. It's the kind of love where you can be fully known with all of your mistakes and all of your good points and all, of your, all the things that you don't want anybody to know, but another person now knows it, and they don't reject you, and they're for you, and they don't keep a record of your wrongs, and they don't talk about things in the past that count against you. They're for you, and they believe the best, and they hope the best. Every one of us wants that, but it's more than that. We not only want it, we want to be the kind of person that offers that to another person. Where does that come from in us? It's the mark of God in us that makes us want it. But in addition to that, we're, the reason we struggle is because we live in this deeply wounded culture where we've been led to believe that the way to get what we really want to be loved and accepted is it's non-commitment, that it's non-commitment, that I won't get hurt if I don't commit, and then I'll get what I want. And it's shown to us everywhere. I want to show it to you since it's coming up on Christmas from one of my favorite Christmas movies. Let's watch this clip from Four Christmases. Off of you. Mm. That was fun. Mm. Mm. That feels good. It's the acupressure. Oh, really? No, I don't know what I'm doing. I just like to rub it. <laughs> You know, this stuff is connected to all different stuff inside your tummy. I know that. If I push the wrong thing, mm. do you know what that's for? Not until later. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> so when's the big day? Hmm? I'm sorry? We're getting married in the spring in South Carolina. Yeah. What about you guys? Oh, we're not getting married. Oh. oh. So why are you taking dance classes? We do a lot of stuff together. That's just oh, one yeah. of many things that we do together. Yeah, it's fun. In fact, I can't think of anything that we don't do together. Right. So why wouldn't you want to get married? Yeah. Well, we're happy. We're happy, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I love her. So, you know, marriage just kind of brings pressure and stress and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and we don't want our relationship to turn into work. We just want to be together because we enjoy it, not because we have to, you know? Yeah. It's like there's a reason that they use the expressions tying the knot or ball and chain. Have you ever listened to the words of a marriage ceremony? Like, I promise to obey? Or till death do us part? I mean, I'd rather be, like, stuck on an island with some weird millionaire hunting me, trying to kill me, and me trying to escape than to be involved in something with those kind of slogans, because that's like a time bomb waiting to explode. So what about children? You do want to make them, no? No. No, no, no. I don't want to make them. Mm -mm. I just don't want to, like, be responsible for this kid and hurt their feelings and disappoint them. Yeah, that's what happened with our families. I'm from, we're both from families that are divorced. We've seen it play out. We don't need to repeat the pattern. But anyway, congratulations on, on, on getting married. That sounds like a really cool thing, and to each their own. Yeah, absolutely. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's the wisdom of our culture. You, you don't want to get hurt? Then just don't commit. 
You want to make sure you marry the right person so you don't wind up divorced? Then you need to try that thing out first. You, you need to, hey, have sex together. See if that works. And if that works together, move in together. I mean, even have a kid together. Buy a house together. Do all of those things so you can even introduce each other as husband and wife. Just, just don't commit to each other. It makes so much sense. To, but here's the thing. We've been on this 50-year experiment together in our culture. We've been doing this a long time now, and now we can look at the data from our experience. And even though it makes sense, our experiment does not work. The data is pretty clear. I mean, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess if it works. The data shows that it does the exact opposite of what we're happy. We, we want to have happen. The odds of you actually finding somebody, moving in with them, and then having a long-term happy relationship, you are actually increasing the odds of killing your relationship by moving in with no commitment. Now, before I go on, let me just say, I, I realize, I fully realize that there are people listening to me at Ashley Park and online right now that I know and love, and you're, you're living together, and, and you're not married. I'm, I'm not unaware of this. And I'm not saying this because I have judgment toward you. I love you. I want the best for your relationship. I'm saying this because we have 50 years of data and you're moving in an area that's only going to cause you pain. I don't want to hurt you. I'm trying my best to help you. I mean, for 30 years I've talked to couples and I care about and the way that our culture and they're doing the things that our culture says so much and I've, I've watched so much hurt and heartbreaking you aren't getting what you actually want. You think that by trying the whole thing out and by having kids together and not taking the whole thing and leaving commitment open that you just won't have to bruise each other up if it doesn't work out. I'm telling you, it does not work the way you want, and the data is clear. So here's the data. Rutgers University did an extensive study on living together, and here's what they found. Virtually all research on the topic has determined that the chances of divorce ending a marriage preceded by cohabitation, so the chances of a divorce if you live together first, are significantly greater than a marriage not preceded by cohabitation. Cohabitors have a hazard of disillusionment, in other words, that's their fancy way of saying divorce, 46% higher than non-cohabitors. In other words, if you want to increase the odds that you, you will end the relationship that you're now happy with, then move in together. Try that thing out before you ever commit to each other. I mean, it's the surest way. Rutgers University is clear on this, but if you don't like their research, how about psychology today? They say, living with your partner bef before tying the knot may help you pay the rent, which is what I hear from a lot of people, but it could cost you the relationship. And then, the Prepared Rich study that we've been basing this whole uh, series on. In comparing dating couples living together versus living apart, the differences are dramatic. Only 21% of those living together were vitalized, or their term for happy and fulfilled in the relationship, compared with 51% of dating couples who didn't live together. Now, you might be wondering, why? Why is that? Well, here's the thing. Data won't tell you why. Just, data just tells you what's coming out of the experiment, and the data is clear. But since I'm the one talking, if you want to know what I think, I think it's because living together without being committed it isn't training you for what you really want out of life. 
You want to have relationships where people are committed to you, where they are fully committed to you, warts and all. But when you leave the option open of, hey, we'll move in and we'll do everything that we can, we'll, we'll try everything out, and, but we'll leave open the option so that we won't have to pay anything. It won't cost us much. We can just leave at any moment if you don't like it. You may be costing yourself the one thing you really wanted by not doing the one thing that was really necessary, which was committing. Can a couple live together before they're married and, and still have a happy marriage? Sure. I mean, people go over Niagara Falls in barrels and survive. It, the odds aren't high. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it, but they do it. I'm just saying the data on this is clear. You no longer can say it just makes sense. We've got 50 years of data saying it does not make sense. So what do we do? Well, if, if you're single, then... I. I think you should make the decision that you're going to build a friendship and you're going to build the spiritual side of the relationship first. I'd encourage you to, to go out and, and Google. I, I put in our notes a link to you. If you get the notes to this, you can just link to that Rutgers study and you ought to read it. You ought to study it together. You ought to talk it over with the other person. If you don't like that, Mike McManus has a, a great book called Living Together. He's a time columnist and he wrote up all the data on this. And I'd encourage you to do something else that will make me sound certifiably old and crazy, I'd encourage you to stop having sex if you're single and not married. I mean, go on a sexual fast. Don't think that you have to try that part out. If you're living together now and you're already in the relationship and you want the relationship to work, you should consider moving out, not living together. And here's why I say that. God intended sex to bond the love in a committed relationship. And sex does bond us, but the bond that sex creates is not strong enough to stand non-committed relationships. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people in my office, and they're about to end the whole relationship, and one of them or both of them will eventually say, sex has never been the problem. Sex is still great between us. But they're going to leave anyway because sex, though it bonds us, it's not a strong enough, a sticky enough, a, a clinging enough bond when we don't have the foundation to stand on. So I'd urge you, if you're single, you know, take this step. It's what God intended. It's the way God said that it works, and the data backs it up. If, if you're here and you did live together and now you're married, am I saying to you that your marriage is doomed to fail? Let me be really clear. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is to you, you ought to be really you ought to be looking carefully at the foundation that you built, and you ought not to trust that it's secure just because you spent those years or those months or those days living together. You need to do the hard work to make sure that you have the foundation will stand. You may need to go to a good counselor, even though everything seems fine right now, to make sure that you have a foundation that will support you underneath your feet. Chip Ingram uh, who's written a, he's written a great book called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships, and I'd encourage you to read it. I'll, just, I'll sum up to you what he has to say. He says, almost everybody in our culture has bought into what God, not what God has to say about how relationships work, but what Hollywood has to say about relationships work. And you'll hear these things even said by people uh, sitting in this church. Here's Hollywood's plan of how relationships work. Number one, there is one right person for you. In fact, some people who are Christians will say, God has one right person for you. That's myth number one. 
Myth number two is you need to do everything you can to find that one right person, and then you need to be with them. Number three, you need to stake all of your hopes, dreams, and desires on that person. And number four, if that doesn't work, repeat steps one through three with another person. And all of us, at some degree, we've bought into one of those three. We've bought into the fact that, hey, there's the right person, and it feels so right right now, and so I need to try this thing out. And so we start having sex together, and that normally works. It's the way the thing works. And we work that out, and that feels good, and I'm infatuated. Well, infatuation can last up to two years with each other. But in the middle of that, maybe you start hanging out with some friends, or you go and meet their family. And in the middle of that, here's what I've noticed. People in the middle of that, they begin to see things in the relationship when they watch the other person with the friends or they watch them with family. And some of the things they see, they don't like. But because we're having sex or because we've already moved in together and mixed money together, I just cover up those things. I just, I just sort of glaze over those things because we're already moving in that direction. But let me just say to you, it's never too late. It's never too late to turn it around and do things the way that God intended us to do, which is committed love, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you could start on that today. In God's way, in God's plan, you don't start with infatuation. You start with the spiritual. It flips the whole Hollywood idea on its head. Here's God's plan. First, you don't work on finding the right person. You work on becoming the right person. You work on your relationship with God. You become the kind of person that he wants. You become the kind of person that you would want to be as a married person. You go and find, instead of looking to find that, you ask God to help you become that. Secondly, you walk in love with God and you walk in love with the friendship relationships that you have around you. You seek love from God instead of seeking love from other people to fill a hole inside of you. What what does God want for me? What, good, what does God want for me in this world? How does God want me to live in this world? That's a foundation that you can stand on. It's a place where I can stand and I can grow. And I'm being a place where when I do get in a relationship, I can have a foundation the other person is strong enough for me and to support them too as, they, as we grow together. And then third, if all of those fail me as I move toward another person and I begin to look around and I'm now... And not fail me, but as I get those two in place where I'm okay and the kind of person and my relationship with God and I'm moving in love with other people and I see someone and I begin to move toward them, if in the middle of that, because my foundation is strong and I'm not an empty hole that I'm trying to get them to fill, I'm allowing God to fill that. When I see a problem in the other person, something that makes me go, wait a second, I can have an honest conversation with them and say, hey, can we... Can we slow down for a second and can we work on this? Or after you've done that, you can say, hey, could we take a step back and maybe we need to stop? But now you have the space because you haven't started having sex. You haven't moved in together. You've been working on you and God. And you can pay attention to all the warning signs. And then once you've made that commitment, you and the other person have a foundation to stand on. It's why I say to people that I am close to and small groups or discipleship groups, I'm saying, hey, man, if you're dating, time is on your side. Do not rush anything. You have plenty of time to see everything. You don't want to rush into it. And I, I'll say to you here, if you're married and things have gotten a little tough and everything in you says it's not easy and it's not getting my, and the needs that I want, here's what I want to say to you before you rush into doing something. 
Time is on your side. Slow down. Look around. Go back to step one and build a relationship with God. And what kind of person do you need to be? Is what you're about to do drawing you closer to God or drawing you further away? Build that place. Time. Slow down. Build in that relationship with God. He has the source of love that we need. See, I just want to say to you this one thing and then I'll, I'll be done. For all of your marriage, and especially for those of you who are struggling, don't quit. Don't give up. Stay committed. Work on your marriage. Work on yourself. But don't do it alone. Work on it with the God who is for you and with you. There was a study done in Minnesota where they asked couples who had already divorced and had been divorced for a bit, do you wish that you and your spouse had worked harder on your marriage? And 65% of those said yes. Now, I do have to admit that when it was done in New Jersey, only 50% said yes. I guess that says something about New Jersey. But either one, <laughs> both of them, in both places, over 50% of people who had divorced said, yeah, I wish I'd stayed committed and worked on it harder. It won't be easy. It won't be picture perfect. It will not give you instant gratification, but it is worth it. It's so worth it. Don't quit. And you may be in a place where you think it's impossible, Nothing is impossible with God. He is for you. The two becoming one, representing the world what he wants. I want to thank you for taking time and being with me and listening to this. And I want to pray for you as all of us. We become the kind of people who are committed in our world where it's not easy. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us and your deep commitment to us that you're always for us and always with us. Now I pray for every relationship that's listening, that's joined in on this. Would you give us as people the strength to stay committed and become the kind of people you want us to be? For those who are taking steps that are missteps, would you help them come back to you and take the steps that they want to rebuild the way you want? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.